0: Last week I mentioned that I was going to skip the the portion about prayer. The reason is that portion about prayer will take at least two weeks, maybe three, and I don't want to start it and then miss three weeks while we're away, okay? And come back and then start it again because it just puts it out of joint. So I skipped ahead and I went to fasting. Uh, the 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 gospel fasting is what it's called. So if you want to. Uh, put that on the title what, if you're keeping notes. So this should be able to get this done. We're looking at three duties or three responsibilities that Jesus Christ tells us that uh, Christians, and and here he's speaking to the Jews, but the, the Jews are to have. One is giving. We talked about that last week. By the way, this is the, the time of the year of giving. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, giving and then fa- uh, prayer And we'll look at that starting January, I think 10th, somewhere around there. 9th, I don't even remember the date, but somewhere around there. And then the last thing was fasting. Now, if I were to ask you of those three responsibilities, where are you the weakest? My guess would be fasting, not because I think you're overweight. (laughs) I do not judge lest I be judged. Okay, I do know my Bible. (laughs) My guess is uh, that the thought of fasting doesn't even cross our minds. How could that be the purpose of the gospel? How could that be that we would have that as the purpose of the gospel? Maybe you would fast to lose a few pounds, and that's not a bad idea, especially as we come up on the holidays, but not for worship. That's not generally in our mind. And and I had conversations recently, and I I can say I've never even thought about it. I've never thought about the idea of fasting. It it, it just doesn't cross my mind. When I read my Bible, I I don't see anywhere in there it says, Thou shalt fast. I don't see that. And um, I think after this we may have some changes. You see, when you do fast, though, there's a purpose for it. And the purpose is to singly focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. To, to look at the life that he's given you. And, and I said this to my wife when we were driving in. I said, where would we be if we didn't know Christ? What did he give us? Look at all the benefits that he's given us that we would never receive without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't find fasting commanded in the scriptures. However, you do see it practiced in a lot of different places within the scriptures. We're going to look at some of those and we'll get to those. Today, I would like to start off, though, with what fasting is not. Okay, most uh, Bible teachers like to do that. I want to tell you what it is not. Some of you have come from a uh, a different religious background, Uh, maybe a different ethnic background, different things that you would do in your, uh, uh, the the way you were raised and and what you would eat and all of those kinds of things, and fasting took place there. Uh, I met a young man once, and he said he had just come off a fast. And so I asked him when and if he could tell me about it. Could he please tell me about it? He said, well, it was last night. While I slept, I fasted. (laughs) Okay. And he says, I didn't eat any food or drink, but this morning I breakfast. Broke my fast is what breakfast is. is. So I said, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. As most of you know, I grew up in a Roman Catholic family. And we were a Roman Catholic practicing family. I was an altar boy, all of those kinds of things. And there was fasting that went on there. There was fasting during Lent. Uh, That was uh, the, the time of the year during Lent when there were times of not eating meat on Fridays. You couldn't do that. One time I did have meat on Friday. As a little guy. You, I probably could have had a heart attack. I was so scared. I called up my mom. Mom, I, 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 I forgot it was Friday. And, and, and what's going to happen? She said, well, your dad had a hamburger sandwich once and uh, a ham sandwich once. And he didn't die, so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I thought God was going to strike me dead right there. That's how much fear was in this but the fasting is not eating meat on Fridays back in those days I don't think they have that anymore Um, there was also within regards to the Lent period that's the time leading up to Easter to Resurrection Sunday was that you would give up something that you liked um, and that you would sacrifice that I tried to convince my mom I can give up vegetables and she didn't believe me (laughs) that I liked them you know You have those kinds of things. I even had, and this is a true story, a friend who had asked a Catholic priest over for dinner. By the way, this friend and his wife both became believers after this. It was during Lent, and the lady prepared fish. That's what you normally would do in in keeping away from meat. You would prepare fish. And uh, the priest said, but no, I, I want steak. He says, when I get the steak, I'll just change it into a fish. Think about that. He was going to magically turn it into a fish that he could eat. He wanted steak. He obviously didn't want to eat fish. So let's start this morning with the theology of food. Um, there, there really isn't a theology of food, but i got to tell you, food takes place in the Bible all over the place. And, and when I started to look at it, I said, I, I can't cover even all of that, but I'm going to try to cover it as much as I can. First, God provides all your food. Everything you eat, God provides for you. I don't care if it's caviar or I don't care if it's an in and out burger. He's provided that for you because He gives you the, the strength to make money. He gives you the opportunity to make money. All of those kinds of things. He takes care of you. I, I liked when we were going through, was it two years ago? Um, when the um, epidemic sort of happened, Grace Church started giving out food to different families. And we would, once a week, bring uh, bags of food, I don't know, two, three bags of food to families. Did it for 90 to 100 families. And we did that every week just to make sure that they had enough sustenance that's what you do but God provided that we didn't provide that in a sense God was the one who did that turn with me to Genesis 129 we need to start at the beginning we need to start at the beginning and in Genesis 129 God said this behold I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding it and it shall be Food for you. God gave all of this to them in the garden, okay, of, and I could say Eden, but it's Eden. He gave it to them in the garden of Eden, and He gave it there, and He wanted to show them that that's what He was doing for them, and He does that same for us. Before the fall, the only thing that was really eaten that we really know, okay, was plants and fruit. We could maybe extrapolate that maybe they sacrificed the other animals but why would they sacrifice? There is no sin so there wouldn't be sacrifice. So I, I would say there probably there may be a situation there where they didn't have meat but they did have animals that were created that would eventually turn to meat. Turn with me to Genesis 3. This is the, the fall now and it talks there about food as well In Genesis 3, and starting in verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat? See, here's where food comes in. You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And so it has to do with food. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat or touch it. Now obviously that's a a change in what the the command was from God. Or you shall die, or you will die. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. He's trying to convince her. It's not going to kill you by eating a piece of fruit. It's not going to do that. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you're going to know, have insight, great insight, if you eat that food. That's what's going to happen. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate. And she gave it to her husband with her and he ate. See, food gets you in trouble. I mean, that's what I extrapolated from this. i got to stop eating because the food, no. You you can see food does get you into trouble sometimes. Look at verse 17 of that same chapter, chapter 3. Verse 17, then to Adam he said because uh, you have listened to the voice of your wife, now I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm just not going to say a word that the man listened to his wife. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, now you're going to have hard work. You will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, all of a sudden, instead of it being provided by God, you have to work for it, you have to do something for it. And I've never been a farmer, but I've, I've had a tomato garden in my backyard. That is a lot of hard work to keep that puppy going. You know, you're trying to get these beautiful tomatoes out of there, and you got, you got bugs in there, you got weeds in there, and you got to dig them up, and you got to get down low. I mean, it was just horrible. And I haven't done it in the last three years, but, man, that was hard work. Yeah. Now, verse 18, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. I I just want you to get that. The sweat of your face. It's going to be difficult work. You ate something you weren't supposed to eat, and now it's going to be difficult work. You will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and from dust, from you are dust, and and to dust you shall return. So there's there's a, a consequence, folks, for eating the wrong thing. The consequence for eating the wrong thing. After the fall, though, something good does come out, okay? Because meat was not part of the diet necessarily. So I believe that some good came out because after the fall, you know what? You could finally eat bacon. (laughs) Says that there. You're going to now eat these kinds of things. Uh, Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Uh, obviously, there's an implication now because they are having to sacrifice because they're sin that the sacrifice is going to produce the, the food that you can eat, and all of those kinds of things. And just to keep that in mind, now go to Genesis 9:3. Genesis 9:3. God said to Moses here in Genesis 9:3. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. Wow. Did you notice? Every moving thing. Now, that doesn't mean another human being, but every animal that's out there, any of them, you can eat. There's a restaurant in South Africa. My South African friends here know it's called carnivore. You have everything from kudu to um, alligator or crocodile, whatever it was. I mean, you got everything on that menu. I could stay there for the rest of my life. They even have bacon. Every food, it says, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. So now God's going to give that to us that we can eat. Pretty clear. You can eat anything that God has created that is edible, obviously. And and if I well, let's throw in the Tower of Babel. Okay, let's throw that in there. God scatters people, puts them all over this planet, and all over the the, the area, and now the varieties of food are staggering. Staggering. I've had the privilege of traveling a lot. And I get to countries and I see foods that I would never see here in America that sometimes my friends in those foreign countries wouldn't tell me what I'm eating until after I eat it. And I find out what I've eaten. I went, "Mm, I didn't ever think of eating that when I was in my house and my dog was running around. I wouldn't think of that. But I've been in South Africa and I've had a monkey gland hamburger. What? Monkey gland hamburger. Yeah. Mm, Really good. By, by the way, that's just the sauce that you put on the hamburger. Okay? <laughs> Got you on that. But we've had some interesting things in Japan. We've had uh, uh, quail eggs, raw quail egg. My wife gave me her portion because she didn't think she could do it. But eh, you, you get to try those different things. With the establishment of the people of God, though, the chosen people of God, Israel, There are some limitations now that are put on that eating. God wants to protect them. Some of those foods are not going to always be clean. And so he's trying to regulate their diet and regulate their worship. Turn with me to Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 16, um, we see here an injunction for the Jewish people at the Day of Atonement. At the Day of Atonement, starting in verse 29, that's Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, verse 29. It says this, This shall be a permanent statue for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls. Now, that particular phrase there, humble your souls, is probably not translated in all your Bibles, humble your souls. In some of it, it may be, you are to take a fast. The one important thing that I want you to pull out of today, when, when you do a fast for God, it is to humble your soul. That's what the ultimate purpose of it is, that you put yourself under God, realizing he's in control of everything, but let's finish that. Humble your souls and not do any work, neither the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will um, be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is the Sabbath of uh, 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 of solemn rest for you that you will humble your souls. You see it twice again. It is a permanent statue, so the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in the Father's place shall make atonement. It's a very important time in the Jewish calendar. I mean, this day is the day that they come together to confess their sins. And they, they are to take a time of fasting staying away from certain foods, not participating in certain things. That is what's supposed to happen. Humble your souls. That's a picture of a man coming before God. He's afflicted. He's afflicted with his unworthiness. He realizes how sinful he is. Now, today we have communion. I'm going to go down there and half an hour or so, and we're going to be participating in communion. That's a very important time. We should be humbling our souls with the thought of where am I at with God? Am I worthy to receive? Okay, And somebody's already come to me this morning trying to figure it out. Am I worthy to receive communion in this condition? That is wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. But that's what we're supposed to do, and that's what they did here in Leviticus. And that picture there, the person that is humbling your souls, can actually be translated deny yourself or deny oneself. You fast because it causes you to look at the majesty of the Almighty God that we serve. That's why we fast. That's why we take communion. You take a communion in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did. His going to the grave. He he was born. He lived a life of pure, no sin at all. And he took our sins. Why would he do that? But he did. We fast because it causes you to look at the majesty of the Almighty God. Turn with me now to Ezra. I mean, obviously we can go through Exodus, And in Exodus, you have the manna that's given to the people of God. You have quail that's given to the people of God. And in a sense, the water was given to the people of God as they go through 40 years in the desert. That's what God does for them. But I I like Ezra because it gives us a a, a picture there in Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. And I'll catch up to you because some of you had already started turning there. Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 8. Starting in verse 21. Now Remember, these are the people that are returning from Babylon. They were in captivity and they're trying to come back into the Holy Land. They're coming back in the Holy Land. And Ezra uh, finds the scrolls. He wants them to do things right. And he says in verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him to seek from him a safe journey for us, for our little ones and all our possessions. Here they are, they're going to come from Babylon back to Israel, back to the promised land, and they come, how do they do that? Having a fast. The fast causes them to think on the things of God. Folks, when you're hungry, that's what it's supposed to do. That's what the fast is supposed to do. It's not supposed to make you think about what's in your refrigerator. It's not supposed to make you think of where's the closest in-and-out burger, you know, that kind of thing. It's supposed to be thinking about the things of God. Verse 22, for I was ashamed to quest for from request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because during those days out there in the desert as they're coming across, there were enemies there, people that would want to pilfer everything they had. As we're saying, oh, I want to request that, but I was ashamed because we had said to the king, your hand, the hand of God, is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So why would I request this help from the king when God's going to take care of me? God's going to take care of me. And then we see in verse 23, so we fasted. And we sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. We fasted. Exactly what that fast was doesn't tell us, but they fasted. They did something that was honoring to God, and he gave them a safe trip back into the promised land. Why am I going through all of this? Because nowhere in the Bible is a command to fast. It only gives you examples. And I want you to see what happens with the examples the examples of doing it God's way, he rewards those people doing it God's way. And that's what we ought to be doing to not do it for the reward, but do it to honor him. I have one more before we go to the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58 is somewhat not convoluted, I don't want to say that word, that's a terrible word to say when you're looking at the scriptures, but it's not as clear. But believe me, these Jews are not doing it for the right purpose. These Jews are doing it to get out of their problem. And when you do it to just get out of your problem, that's the wrong reason for fasting. So make sure you see this, it says, cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet and declare, by that this verse 1, and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions, they delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? How dare you call God and say, what in the world aren't you seeing this? Can God miss something? Of course not. This reminded me of Habakkuk, where Habakkuk, the the prophet, is screaming at God and saying, why aren't you taking care of us? Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fa- of your fast, we uh, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. See, they're complaining here, folks. They're not saying, do what you want to do. You know what? You should be able to fast and not get what you want. But it should be driving you closer to the Lord. It should be driving you closer to the Lord. You see, as Christians, sometimes we, we say it, but I've been praying and i've been doing this and i've been doing that why aren't i getting it why should you there's no guarantee there's no guarantee but that's what we're pointing out here verse 4 behold your fat you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist you do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high is it a fast like this which I chose, a, a day for a man to humble himself? No, there's no humbling going on here. It is for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading our sackcloth and ashes as a bed. Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? No, this is not right, folks. This is not acceptable. He goes on, in there are a few more verses, just pointing out the insincerity of these people. You see, folks, you can't hide any of that sincerity from God. He knows how sincere you are about your supplication, about your prayers, about all of that. The idea here is to make sure that you are truly sincere, genuine, in repentance and humility because you love him so much because of what he's done for you. That's what we need to keep in mind. Where there's no sincerity, there is no forgiveness. That's even come when we go to the table here in an hour or so. If there's no sincerity, if there's no genuineness of repentance, there is no forgiveness. Now let's get to the New Testament. In the New Testament times, we have these fellows called Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and all. And um, all of a sudden now there's not just the Day of Atonement where there's fasting, but they fast twice a week. Look at how good I am. I fast twice a week. And you see that in Luke 18. You don't need to turn there. But in Luke 18, verse 12, it says this. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. We looked at that last week when we were talking about giving. Folks, that was just for show. There was no sincerity in that, no genuineness in that. Now, when Jesus was on earth, food became part of his story. It really did. In and, and multiple places, and we're only going to look at a, a few of them. Um, whether it was his time of fasting, and we're going to get to that later, we're going to talk, look at that a little bit. But how about this? Jesus created food on the mountainside. the The, the people he looked out and he saw five thousand people and they were hungry. You can't go to um, In an Out Burger. You you can't even go to Costco and get food. There's nothing there. Those towns are small. They couldn't support 5,000 people. By the way, when it says 5,000, it actually means more than that because that's 5,000 men. There are probably 5,000 women and there are probably 5,000 kiddos. And he feeds them all. You can look at Matthew chapter 14, 13-21, through 21, and then Matthew 15, 29-39. I'm not going to look at those, but I just want you to know his, part of his story is about food and feeding people that are hungry. The most important one, I think, the most profound fasting that you will ever see is found in Matthew chapter 4. Why don't you turn there? Matthew chapter 4. This is before Jesus starts his ministry. And... uh, It says there in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. By the way, I don't think any of you in here has been ever tempted by the devil. Just my own personal opinion, why would the devil pick on any of us? There's only one devil. Why would he pick on us? There's other people to pick on. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. What? After forty days and forty nights, how long can you last? Forty seconds? Forty minutes? Forty hours? That's 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 two days, or forty days? My goodness. After he had been fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And listen what the tempter does. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus could have done that. If Jesus wanted to, he could have done that. I got to tell you, just thinking about 40 days out in the desert, and and when we were in Israel, we got to see that, that desert where he was. There's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. You're not going to find anything out there. There's nothing growing out there. It's it's a desert. While food is used for the sustaining of life, for the sustaining of existence, it is also used for the wrong purposes. And please hear this the right way. Often, in the Old Testament, when there was abundance of food, guess what there was? A neglect of God. We've got it already. So food can also cause problem. When you have too much of whatever it is, it can cause you problems. Because they didn't need to worship God anymore. Remember that, that passage, it's, it's uh, difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, it's difficult for a well-fed person, and I don't mean because of their girth, but a well-fed person to really need God for anything. There's no need. But there's other reasons, and I want to give you a few of those, just some that I've come across in my counseling ministry. Um, other reasons besides sustenance that we eat food, please hear this with the right heart. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the gospel fasting sh- shortly. <laughs> I just think this background is good for the study. We sometimes eat for comfort. We sometimes eat for comfort. As a matter of fact, there are even some foods that are called comfort foods. Folks, when people are in pain, pain of loss, pain of neglect, sometimes they want to hide in food. That's an escape for them, is to hide in food. We eat for a variety of reasons that sometimes I deal with in counseling. And when we're angry, sometimes people want to eat. And just give up on their diet because they're angry. Or how about sad and depressed? When they're sad and depressed, they they go to the refrigerator because that's the only place they can find a light on. Think about that, not too long. But that's what happens. We we do those kinds of things and sometimes when we're lonely, we will eat because it keeps us busy. So those are some of the not very good reasons to eat. But they're there nevertheless, and we have to deal with them. When D- Jesus initiated his ministry, he went for 40 days and 49 on that fast. And in Matthew four, 4 he answered Satan, who uh, took that particular occasion to tempt Jesus. And he says this, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Food is not the ultimate, folks. The word of God is the ultimate. The word of God is what we need to ingest and and take in all the time. We need to be feeding into our heart and our mind. That's what fasting is about, because that's what it's to cause, is for you to think about the things of God. Why am I here in Southern California in 2021, about to be 2022? What does God want from me? Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. As you can tell from the text of Scripture, anyone who fasts with the purpose Of being seen by men, Jesus is going to point out that's the wrong reason to fast. You want somebody to catch you, to see you doing this very religious, holy thing that nobody else does. Because there aren't many people who do go around fasting. And if they receive the praise of men, they just defeated the purpose of the fast. A Few years ago I went on a diet and I lost quite a few pounds. Somebody came up and says, You want to fast? I said, No, I'm just trying to get back to where I was when I was in high school. <laughs> That's all. And you know, you can only do that this way, go backwards. <laughs> Matthew twenty three twelve says this whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The idea of the fast is to humble yourself to know that you are not in control without God. You need him every single moment. C.S. Lewis said this, and I I, I find this really interesting. He says, fasting asserts the will against the appetite. Fasting asserts the will against the appetite. The reward being self-mastery and the danger, pride. So, you see, when you do enter into that, there's always that danger of pride. Look what I've done. You know, even if it's just to your spouse, look what I've done. True fasting is self humbling, true fasting is self denying. It, it, it's true focus is on one, and that's the only one that you should be worshiping. That's God and God alone. John Piper. Said this, and I, and I find this one of the best quotes I've ever found from John Piper. He said, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. <laughs> Think about it. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. And he goes on. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls the appetites for heaven, but the mindless nibbling at the table of the world. Wow. I don't always like John Piper quotes, but I think, to me, the mindless nibbling at the table of, of the world? Why am I even anywhere near that table? Why would I even want to enter into the banquet room of that table? That's what he's saying here. Let's go to that Matthew passage 6, 16 through 18. This is, whatever you fast, notice that whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you when you fast anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but your but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you That's that's just a small passage a little snippet of of the scripture and it says whenever you fast if you if you read that it says obviously the lord is saying you are to be fasting. Because he says whenever, you know, like whenever you go to the bank, whenever you go to school, whenever you do this, he already knows you're going to be doing it, so this is what we should be doing. And i got to tell you, in my own, I I don't know, I wouldn't say ignorance, I shouldn't be ignorant of these things, but I've never even thought about it. I've never even thought about it. Whenever you fast, Jesus expects it. He's not telling us to do it. He's not telling us when to do it. He's not telling us how to do it, but whenever you do it. And he doesn't even say how often. Maybe it's once a year. Maybe it's once every six months. I don't know. You make that up in your own heart and mind. There's no control here that you must do this or you must do that. In New Testament times, the fast for food that one abstained from, whether it was a partial fast and sometimes a full fast, there's all kinds of ways of doing it. But the warning here, listen to this, here's the warning, do not put on a gloomy face. In other words, don't look sad. You know, the sadness you put on when you're told there's no more double-doubles. I know that's a nightmare, I know that's terrible, but, you know... It's not that bad. It says here, do not be sad-faced. The the particular uh, Greek word that's there is skrothpus, and it means to have gloom-ridden face, a gloom-ridden face. I I guess it's like a kid that's been sent to his room because he's misbehaved. He has a gloom-ridden face. It's that kind of thing. Hmm. But how can you do that as an adult? Jesus calls that kind of person, guess what he calls them? A hypocrite. A hypocrite. They are called a hypocrite because Jesus knows that that sad face that they put on is for a reason. They put on that sad face for you to recognize them. Oh, what's wrong? What's going on? They want to be recognized by others and then they can announce their righteous behavior. This is condemning this con man, this con woman who has a gloomy face because they will be recognized as not being well. That look will bring about questions asking if they're all right, are you okay? Next, this hypocrite adds to the gloom. What does he say? Therefore, they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. In that day... The Jew would uh, be disheveled. He may even take some of the ashes from his fire and put them on his face and, and really look dirty and, and those kinds of things. And, and when I when I was reading that, I, I thought about it. And I said, oh, in the Roman Catholic Lenten procedure, you start out with ash Wednesday. Guess what they do? They put ash on their face. Why? Everybody else can recognize them. I had a friend when I was in... Elementary school, he says, I didn't get enough ashes on there because I want everybody to know I'm going through this. What? But that's what he did it for. He wanted to be noticed. It marks out those who are going to be followers of Jesus Christ in the Roman Catholic Church. One commentator that the hypocrites said this, the hypocrites hide their faces with ashes so that they would be seen. They hide their faces with ashes so they'd be seen. They want others to recognize what they're doing. It brings attention to them. Folks, it's not just ashes that people use to call attention to themselves. You think about the Roman Catholic whole the whole system, the indulgences that they go through and the various things that they they have there. There are steps in Rome that if you climb them on your knees and you go up the steps, when you get to the door, you're supposed to have all these kinds of indulgences because of that good work. Are you serious? But that's what they would do. Carrying a cross. I think in the Philippines, I even put them on the cross. They put people on the cross. Are you serious? You may not go about announcing to everyone that you're doing it, but you make it look like you're doing it. And then they ask you, how are you doing? What's going on? It's a ploy to gain attention. You know that they received a From their great act, it says there in verse 16 truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. It's right there. It's over. There's nothing eternal in this, there's nothing for God in this. It's over. They received the temporary admiration of those who noticed, and it goes away. Even the music here, they talked about that we're like the grass of the field and we burn up. That's what it is. It just burns up, it means nothing. Verse seventeen, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. By the way, this was a, a way they took a bath. You know, they they cleaned their face and made themselves look uh, awake. <clears throat> uh, they got the stuff out of their eyes and all of that kind of stuff. The humble believer will take care of looking good, even in that situation. It says here, but you. That is, fasting is not a gloomy-faced individual gaining attention. That's what you're not supposed to do. But you are supposed to be different. They clean up, anointing their head. And the anointing is to make them look well, not pass, not passing out. Verse 18, because I do want to do something at the end here and give you some ideas. Verse 18, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's where you get your reward. That's the ultimate reward. How about you? I don't care what I get here. I want want to see what the Lord has for me there. I'm looking forward to that. Fasting indicates a disruption of the normal life of a person. The prominent reason for a believer to fast is to what? Focus on his communion with God. You see, fasting is going to bring about pain. It's going to be something that you feel neglected, you know, the the energy that it gives you the food and all of that. That's what it's supposed to do. Let me focus on the Lord. That's what I want to remember. <clears throat> now I I'm going to unfortunately rushed the end of this i'm sorry but i'm going to give you some reasons too fast if you want to take down notes i have 10 of them 10 reasons too fast but i have a warning i'm I'm not the cdc but i do have a warning (laughs) when you fast it changes your body metabolism blood sugar, all of that kind of stuff. I'm not a doctor. I could have the doctor give you all that information so you come up here and talk to him. (laughs) But it's it is, okay, something that could change even your medications that you're taking, all kinds of things. So I'm putting that out there because I don't want the responsibility for you passing out. (laughs) This is not something to mess around with. Also want to make sure we understand that. If you are ill, don't do it unless you speak to your doctor about fasting. There are different ways of fasting. We'll give you that as well. Reasons to fast. We're not animals. The animals are on this earth for one reason. To eat and be eaten. That's what they're out there for. They are to be and I don't mean your puppy in your little house and all that kind of stuff. The idea here is because it we're not like animals. We need to control our natural impulses. This is a good place to get started. <clears throat> the animals' purpose in life is not the same as our purpose. Ours is to worship the Savior. Number two, so we are not animals. Number two, we fast because it can be good for our health. Um, I had some folks pointing that out to me, even just recently it can help you to think clearly, more clearly, okay? Because it takes away some of the stuff that clutters it. So it's good for that reason, but that's not why you fast. But that's one of the benefits. Number three, we are not slaves to our appetites. We are not slaves to our appetites. That's another reason. Number four, we fast to show we have a hunger for God. We have a hunger for God. We want His nourishment, what He's going to give us. Number five, we fast to reduce our appetite for the world. We fast to reduce our appetite for this world. We fast also, this is number six, we fast to help us develop self-discipline. Number seven, we fast to find out the depth of our love and devotion to God. We fast to find out the depth of our love and devotion to God. Number eight, we fast to find out if we are content. If we are content. Number nine, we fast to mourn over our sin to repent before God. That's what the fast is for, is that we mourn over our sin. And I've said this before in in this message, but number 10, we fast to have pure communion with the living God. Because as you fast, it it brings into focus the things of God. Now, I I do notice some people out there, but they're only kids, so we will ignore them. Just kidding. Now, how to fast. How to fast. I'm going to give you seven, re- uh, seven ways of how to fast. Fast regularly. Whatever that means for you. Whatever that means for you. Because it says in Matthew 6.16, whatever you fast. Fasting is assumed by God. It should be practiced by us. Number two, fast prayerfully. Spend a good amount of time worshiping God, exalting His name. Read the scriptures. Pick up a hymn book and 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 sing those songs in your heart. Whatever it is, worship Him. That's what it's for. That's two. Number three is fast secretly. Don't tell everybody about it. Once I had somebody come up to me and say, can you pray for me? I'm on a fast. I'm going... I think that's defeating the purpose of what, we're going, what you're doing there. But fast secretly. Fast humbly. Be a humble man. Be a humble woman. I, I do need to bring this to you. First Timothy 4. 1st Timothy 4 says this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith and paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. I'm not doing that, folks. I'm not starting another religion here which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. So receive whatever you can with gratitude. It's not that we start a whole new cult of fasting. That's not what we're about. Number 5, fast with repentance and significant prayer. That's what you're supposed to be doing, is fasting with repentance and significant prayer fast creatively now here's what i'm going to give you some other ideas that we can't do food because of a metabolism issue or uh, um, uh, other reasons medical condition that disallows it fast from television entertainment fox news and i'm not kidding Shopping for shoes. I don't know. You pick out something that you find yourself uh, doing a lot. I don't know anybody who does that. But, I mean, if you know anybody, that's what you need to do. (laughs) Please forgive me. (laughs) Number seven, fast with the idea of renewing and strengthening your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's about that relationship. It's not the food. It's not the television it's about that relationship. What should be the the most important thing? What do we use when we fast? go to church, memorize scripture, uh, pray, repent, devotions, all of that kind of stuff. think of more think of others as more important than yourself i mean there there's so many things that you could be doing and building on now, this is the last thing we're coming up on the new year. <laughs> Some of you make resolutions every year. About January 15th, they're done. You know those religion, re, uh, You know what, folks? You want to draw closer to God? This is a way to do it. You want to draw closer to your creator? This is a way to do it. You want to draw closer to your Savior? This is the way to do it. And I'm going to be praying for you. We will be here next week but after that we go see grandkids and so we'll be traveling. But I'm going to be praying for you that if you make a resolution that you stick with that. And this could be part of that way of catapulting you to a whole different relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father thank you for today Lord. Thank you for communion that we can have it together. That we can worship you Lord with our whole heart, mind and soul. Uh, Keep these folks until... uh, You return in your name. Amen.